great singing. That song just, at times, that song just gets me. So um, I'm not going to apologize for that, but it does. It's just God's goodness to us in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of the difficulties, the worries, the stresses, the anxieties of our life. It's just a good reminder to know that God's goodness to us is, is faithful and that he is faithful to us. And it's the, the moments when we don't feel that way that we can trust in the fact of God's goodness and the fact of who God is and the fact and the, the truth of, of our great God. And so as we look at the, the closing of First Peter tonight, as some of you chuckled and wondered if I'd ever get through it, yes, we'll get through it, and we're going we're gonna to finish tonight. But uh, I've been very thankful for the study. It's very challenging. I feel like it, for many ways, has been very appropriate at different times, and even for me in my life as we, we go through. And even tonight's message, just a, a challenge for me personally in, in, the, in the walks of my life, making sure that as I study Scripture and as I learn, that I, I work through the, the truths of Scripture too. Most, most of us who are, um, I, I don't want to say older, but those who are older, you're familiar with the, the name Audie Murphy. For those of you who don't know them, probably those of you under the age of 30 and you've never heard that name, or if you haven't, maybe you're like, oh, I sort of remember that name. It's, it would be really good for you to read that, the, the biography to Helen Back or his autobiography. Great story, great truths about a man who was a leader, a man who had courage, a man who had honor in the face of adversity. And uh, for those of you who don't know, or most of you do, a reminder, Audie Murphy at the age of 19 received the, the Medal of Honor for his bravery, for his heroism uh, in, in, the, in World War II when he had single-handedly allowing his regiment and his, his troops to get away from the advancing German forces. He single-handedly held back the advance of the Germans. And because of that bravery and heroism, he was uh, awarded that medal. And he was, he's sort of become synonymous with that a little bit of the understanding of somebody who is able to face the fire and still stand strong. And he stood firm while under the, the fire of the German squads coming at him. But Peter, when he's talking about our, our, our passage here today, and as Peter sums up the, his book, he is going to remind us that the purpose of his letter is to encourage us to stand firm in our faith while we face the onslaught of Satan, while we face the onslaught of unbelievers, while we face the, the pressures of this world coming against us. And so as we face the difficulties, as we face the persecutions, we are told to stand firm, to stand strong against those. Now, as Peter has told us already, persecution for us as believers, we, we've already realized that it's part of God's will for our life. The difficulties that arise, the, the, um, the pressures for standing up for being a Christian, the ridicule that we receive that, that then brings about stress, that then brings about anxiety, that brings about difficulties, that brings about cares and, and struggles in our life. Peter says that this is part of God's will. It's not going to be foreign to us as Christians. We are going to experience that. And he says part of it is used to purify us as the church, to, to, to rid out those who are truly not believers, to start strengthening us and, and maturing us and growing us in our life. So as Peter walks us through the book, he's told us, and we've learned that suffering is part of our life. It is expected, and we will face it as true Christians. So Peter's brought these two almost seemingly paradoxical thoughts together, that those who are in Christ, we would think that those of us who are working and serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, 
would, would have it going pretty easy. I mean, he's the one who reigns on high. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. And yet Peter says that as Christians, we will suffer here on earth. And though it seems ironic, the Christian faith throughout scriptures teach us that the way up always comes by going down. And that's where Peter had left off in verse number five. He left off with telling us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He does that because he wants us to know that proverb that is, it's it's from Proverbs, James quotes it again, but God is truly committed to those who are humbly dependent upon him. Not those who think they have it all figured out, not those who think that they have all the, all, all the answers to life, but those who look and say, I'm going to be humbly dependent upon God. So what does he spur off then? Look how he follows up. He says, verse 5, God, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So verse 6, he comes in then and says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The idea here to, to humble ourselves, Peter is calling us to that humility, which we talked about two weeks ago, some of the differences between pride and humility and how you can see that in people. And you can see the, the arrogance versus the humility and how that fleshes out in their lives. But let's not forget the context of this letter. Okay? Peter is telling us that those who are facing suffering, he's writing to the believers in Asia Minor who are facing the persecutions, who are facing the difficulties, and he's saying... In the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the oppression that is coming against you, the world seems to be completely against you, have humble dependence upon God. While humility is to be a normal part of our life, we know that we are to take that mind of Christ that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, that we are to have that mind of humility, that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. Peter's speaking directly to these believers who are facing the trials. And so he says that we are to submit to the difficulties, to the trials. We are to humble ourselves, therefore. We are to recognize God's sovereignty in difficulties and tests. We've talked about that through the book. We are to be submitting to God's care and God's protection, that even in the midst of these trials, that God is seemingly allowing, that he is in control, he's well aware of them, we're still to submit to humbly place ourselves under God's care, God's protection in our life. We are to submit ourselves to accept the suffering as part of God's plan for our life, not to rebuke, not to push against it, but to accept those things. So therefore, we are to be subject to God and confident in him alone. That's where Peter's starting to drive here. He's saying all of these different places that you've had to work on submitting to the government, to your employers, in the family, all those at church, to one another, the humility. God says this is part of your responsibility. This is what you're to be doing. And therefore, we are to be confident to God that he is the one who will take care. He is the one who will provide. And we, as we humble ourselves, humility here is commanded. And it's something that we are to be clothing ourselves in. We talked about that back up in verse number five, where you are to be clothed with all humility. And now he says, you humble yourself. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. It is not something that somebody does to me. It is something that I must place myself. I bow down under the mighty hand of God. Humbling ourselves, and it's important to understand that in this context of the book, humbling myself under the mighty hand of God may very well bring into my life the the opportunity for deep pain, for deep suffering, 
but it will also provide the protection. It will provide the opportunity for God to safely bring us through these trials, through these difficulties. So as I stand for Christ, as I stand for God in this world, and then the afflictions come because those who are against Christ bring that upon me, God is faithful. God brings us through. He safely brings us through. Now, to help us understand what Peter expects in regard to humility, he says, you are to humble yourselves. I am to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God, it talks about our affliction is going to, one, one writer said this, our affliction either drives us to the arms of God or severs us from God. And Peter, that's actually where he's going to drive at in this passage. That in the midst of your hardships, your dilemmas, your difficulties, is it going to drive you to God or does it drive you away and severs you away from God, brings you further, maybe to the point of denying the faith? That was part of the difficulty for the early church. That was part of the, 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 the battles that came up within the church. What about these who had fallen away from the, from the faith and those who stayed faithful to the faith? And are we going to bring them back in? How does that all work? There were all these difficulties even in the early church because some had fallen away from the faith during the hard times. Some had remained faithfully firm. The hand of God, it's a picture of deliverance. You can look, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament references to the hand of God. But it pictures the deliverance of God in the Old Testament, whether it's through the, the, the plagues that the hand of God is, is going to smite against Egypt, whether it's in Daniel where the hand of God is used. It's a picture of deliverance in the Old Testament. It was God's power to intervene in history for the sake of his people. So as I humble myself under the hand of God, it's understanding that it is the hand of God that will deliver me through the trials, that will bring me through. It's the hand of God that is far greater, has far more power than that of Satan, which is going to be important because Peter's going to bring in the other character here. He's going to bring in Satan here in just a moment. But the hand of God, the mighty hand of God, the strong and powerful hand of God will carry us will sustain us, will protect us through the most difficult and tragic moments of our life. It does bring us back to the truth that even while we're being under uh, the hand of God, suffering is still part of God's plan. Because if you're in the hand of God, if you're being protected by the hand of God, and yet you're still going through suffering, hopefully for the righteous reasons, we've already talked about that a number of times in the book, that you want to suffer for doing right, not suffer for the evils. But even in the hand of God, even while you're humbly submitted to God, you can still face suffering and persecution and difficulty. So, so Peter's reminding the believers, what an encouragement though, for these, these believers in Asia, Asia Minor who are going through the difficulties, going through the persecutions and wondering, does God care? Does God know? Absolutely. Even while you're in, in the protection and you're submitted under the hand of God, it can still come, but God, God's got you. God is there, there for you to help. God's purpose in humility is not simply to humiliate us as people, but that out of our coming low, coming down before him, he may exalt us. Look what he says. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may, what's the purpose? That he may exalt you in due time. That is, a, that is a constant tenor of Scripture, that those who are humbled are exalted. So God is going to bestow favor upon those who acknowledge the need of Him, 
who recognize that they need God even in the midst of their hardships. And the idea is in the due time. It's in his good timing. Now, Peter is not promising these believers in Asia Minor that they're going to be able to, to get out of all of their cares out of all, or all of their difficulties at that moment. He's not saying, hey, just, just humble yourselves and God will make it all peachy keen. He's saying in God's perfect timing, he will deliver you. He will bring you through. It's not even a guarantee that it will be in this life. Remember, Peter is often talking and alluding to heaven and the hope of our glory. And as he's went through the book, he said a number of times, looking unto the hope, looking forward. He's saying that that may be the ultimate deliverance. And really, ultimately, isn't that the deliverance we're all looking forward to? To be delivered from this persecution, to be, to be delivered from this sin-cursed world, to be delivered from the anxieties and the cares and the struggles that are constantly battling within our lives and we, we struggle with. On a, on a daily basis at times. And Peter's looking and saying, in his good time. So it may not even be, it may be that God sustains only to deliver in the end. God may completely deliver you through the persecutions right now. But it's, it's ultimately saying, in God's good timing. Once again, that's a humble dependence upon not just his power, but upon his omniscience. To know that he, in his timing and in his way, under his strength, he will deliver. So I humbly submit, I bow down low in my life. So just as the Lord delivered his children, Peter's, Peter's using this Old Testament illusion of the mighty hand of God. He's saying just like he delivered the Old Testament children from the difficulties, from the hardships, he will deliver believers in Asia Minor and deliver believers today through our persecution. So in the hardships, in the persecutions that may come, in the suffering that we may face, God is faithful. And so therefore, I am to humbly submit to him, to his ways. That's why even he starts off the passage back in verse 5, talking about the pastors and, and submitting yourself to the elder and, and listening and learning so that as you're being taught, we're learning how to live and we're learning what to do so that all of that, as we learn scriptures, we can humbly submit to God's ways, God's directions. So how do we do this? How do we show this humble trust in God? Peter doesn't just say, okay, just humble yourself. He gives us, he gives us a very practical way to, to humble ourselves. Verse number seven, he says, casting all your care on him. Literally, while you are casting or having already cast your cares upon him. So he's looking and saying, humility is seen by handing our problems over to God. Handing the hardships, the difficulties, the sufferings that we face, we ha hand them to them, we cast them. The idea here is to throw something upon someone or something. It's the, the, the same word is used. Just ripped part of my Bible. Okay. That's um, the same word that's used when the disciples get the, the donkey, the colt for uh, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And they take off their coats and they cast it upon the donkey. It's all, they, they no longer have that on them. It is no longer theirs to bear, even though it's just something light. But now it is placed upon the, the donkey to bear. They cast it upon. That's what he's saying here. It's to, to take that and to cast it, to put it on. It's, the, it's a deliberate decision of trust is what it is. Casting my care upon him. I am deliberately saying, God, I'm going to trust you in my hardships. I'm going to trust you in my sufferings and in my anxieties. It's unloading my burdens, my anxiety, my worries, my cares 
upon God. It is taking them and saying, God, I give them to you. Easier said than done many times in our lives, is it not? We worry, we think, we dwell, we ponder, we give it there. But trust is the antidote to worry. Trusting in God in his ways. Worry can be a form of pride. It denies God's sovereign care. And, and I'm not talking, there, there's, legitimate, there's legitimate aspects of anxiety and worry and, and chemical difficulties where, you know, medicines are appropriate. And I'm not saying that, that all worry is a spiritual battle. All worry, if, you're, if you have anxiety, then you're sinning. That there, there are moments that it's, it's real. It's, it's a medical dynamic. But there are moments where in the, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trying to figure it all out, and I'm going to just do it. I don't need God. I, you know, we never say that. But I look and I say, just because I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to put my trust in myself or somebody else, I'm going to do it. And then the anxiety builds up and the worry and the, the frustrations. We have to just look and say, can, can some of our worry be a form of pride? Absolutely. And so we want to be very careful that we are trusting in God's sovereign care for us in the midst of our hardships and our difficulties. So he says, casting all of our cares upon him, as we trust God's mighty hand, we follow a God who cares for us. So he's talking about casting all your care upon him. Why can we do this? What is the foundation for that statement? He says, for God, for he cares for you. So we cast our anxiety upon the one who hears this cry. The one who in the middle of the night when we cannot sleep and he hears us, we give that to him. We trust in him. We cast our cares, our worries upon him. Now the caring that Peter uses here in the second, you got casting all your cares, your worries, your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. The word care there, the second one, talking about God, it's literally the idea of the concern about what happens to a person is the word. So God, God is not obtuse. God, God isn't just out there saying, well, you know, I don't really care about. No, the word Peter uses here is saying that God himself cares what happens to you, to me. So in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our persecutions, God is saying, I care. To, for us to look and say, God, you don't care, is directly denying what Peter is saying here in Scripture. Because God is looking and saying, I do care for you. And so it's, it's once again, like I was saying at the beginning, sometimes we don't feel that way. But what we can rest upon is the fact that God does care. And that's why we can cast our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for you, even in the midst of our anguish, even in the midst of our pain. His care is constant and it is unending. That is the word. It's the idea is it just continually goes on and on. God is not indifferent. He's not cruel. He has a sustaining compassion toward us in our lives. So I can, in the midst of my difficulties, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of the, the co-workers coming against me, I can look and say, God, I know you care, and I'm giving this to you. Please sustain me. Please help me. Please help me to focus upon you in the midst of my hardships. Peter encourages us then to pour out, pour out our hearts to God in light of his knowledge and his concern for us. 
whatever we are anxious about, whatever we are facing, whatever the sufferings that are being caused in our lives, they can potentially distract us from from God. And so Peter is saying, humbly depend upon him. Take your eyes off of and put it back on God. Trust in God to, to have his way. That if you are convinced that something is going, you know, you're going to say, okay, God, you, you've got to take care of this. I'm giving it to you. I believe that this is the way it is. But right now, things are not going that direction. So God, I'm giving this to you. I'm trusting in you. I'm placing my dependence upon you in this. Now, Satan wants to put more, uh, us to put more trust in ourselves, more trust in one another than in God in the midst of our trials. And it's an easy thing to do because our pride is so strong. And humility is not natural. We want to figure it out for ourselves. And yet God is saying, no, humbly depend upon me. Humble ourselves by unloading our burdens on the one who cares. So Peter is driving us to this idea that's saying, hey, as we wrap up the book, as we wrap up talking about the suffering that we are, we are facing, that we are going to potentially face, as we face the anxieties that come from living as different in this world, as we face the struggles that, that are out there in this world because we choose to live for Christ, he says, humbly depend on the one who cares. Now, I, saw, I found this rendition of, of the battle, the spiritual battle between Satan and Christ in our lives. And I think it's important for us to remember, and Peter brings us to this point, that God cares for us in our sufferings and in our trials. But we need to beware, because God is not the only one who is interested in the believer. God is not the only one. God's interest is only good toward us. But the devil, Satan, he wants to destroy the committed. Look at, look at how Peter spurs up. These, I've often thought that the end of this was just Peter trying to fill up the parchment paper. At the end, he's got, you know, this much room and he had to just throw out a couple extra commands and get it all together. But as you look at the passage, the whole ending, it's not Peter just, you know, throwing up a whole bunch of little things at the end. Peter's driving toward a point here. He's looking and saying, there's, there's, an, there's something going on. He looks and he says... Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, is walking about, seeking whom he can or will may devour. So we need to be ready here for the external attacks of Satan. We need to be prepared for the spiritual attacks and the battles that will come from the devil. As he talks about the, the, the things that are, Satan is coming against, he's walking around seeking and, and wondering who he's going to be able to devour. Keep it in its context. This is, not, this is not the idea of everywhere you walk around. You know, we used to, the Frank Peretti books uh, that used to be really popular. We used to joke about them. It was like, wow, Satan's around every corner ready to rip you to shreds. And, and, but it, it was bringing to light that idea. Now, the, as we heard this morning, Satan is powerful. He's ready. He's doing it. But the idea here in context is, is that in the midst of our suffering... In the midst of our persecution, as we are choosing to humble ourselves under God. But in contrast, watch out, be prepared, be ready, because God's not the only one there in the midst of those trials and hardships. Satan is seeking whom he may devour in the midst of those times. So we need to be watching out for spiritual deceptions. Things that they look good and we're like, oh, this must be, you know, the perfect. But we need to be wise. Satan is deceiving. And so as as we watch, we go through the hardships, the persecutions, the trials, the struggles. It's very easy during those times to slip away from God. 
to choose to follow our own pride, to choose to follow Satan. Peter himself experienced this. He experienced his unpreparedness when he slept, when his mind wasn't ready and prepared for the battle that he was going to face, when his body wasn't prepared and he wasn't watchful in and as a result, he's ill-equipped. And think about that night that Peter had. He, he cuts off the ear of a soldier. He goes out. He, he, he follows Christ, but then he denies Christ. Peter is well aware of what happens when you are not watchful. Can you not watch, Peter? Can you, can you guys not stay awake for a little bit? Well, he's well aware of what happens when you're not paying attention. So he says, be aware. Be sober. Pay attention. Be vigilant. Stay alert. Because in the midst of your difficulties and in the midst of our hardships, Satan is looking to devour you. God is looking to sustain you as you humble yourself to him. But remember, as you walk in your pride, as you walk in your own ways, you are giving an opportunity for Satan to devour you. You are giving that opportunity. We don't, we, we need to, why do we need to do it? Because our enemy is at work. He is actively on the prowl. Peter uses the very vivid term of the lion. We, we don't even, as soon as you hear that, you can picture the lion stalking its prey, the lion jumping and tearing its prey to shreds, the lion just tearing through with the carnage of devouring its prey. Why do we need to be aware? Why do we need to be? Because our enemy is seeking to destroy us. That's that's the word when he talks about may devour. It is to gulp, to ingest whole, to swallow you up. That is what Satan is to do. His idea here, though, is not just to, to make you feel bad. It is to demoralize us in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our hardships, that we would ultimately deny our faith. Because as Peter is going to talk here, he's going to now bring in the idea of how do, we, how do we do battle against him? What is the important dynamic? And he's going to bring in a faith dynamic here. The devil is not a neutralized foe. We heard about this this morning. But he is actively seeking our destruction. And he's doing it aggressively. So in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our, our difficulties and our struggles, we need to be putting our faith in Christ, humbly dependent upon him, putting our trust in God, knowing that God will pre preserve and protect and he will care. He will help us through those hardships. And, and there's this contrast that takes place in this passage. We're going to see it again. Notice how he started. Peter starts with the, the mighty hand of God. And then he goes to this, the, the mightiest of beasts that we know of in Satan. So he's, he's contrasting God and Satan. He's going to bring about the difficulty. And there's such a stark contrast God is the one who cares. God is the one who cares about our worries. And he is the one who can sustain. Earlier, it's talked about that he is the, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd in verse 4. That he is the one who protects his flock. That he cares for his flock. And then you get Satan, who's designed to terrify us. That his, his goal is to devour us and to devour our faith. And you see this contrast playing out. And Peter's saying, hey, as we wrap up, and we've talked about the suffering and we've talked about living in these unsettling times. Understand that there is a spiritual dynamic that's involved in this. Understand that God wants you to humbly depend and submit to him. And yet Satan wants you to just go at it your own way. 
because he wants to devour you. He wants to take yours. And then he says in the next verse, he, he looks on, he goes on, he says, whom, verse 9, resist steadfast in the faith. We are told that as Satan seeks to devour us, as he seeks to come against us, we're told not to run, but we are told to stand firm, to resist, to plant our feet, and to resist the attack to deny our faith, to resist the attack of to, to, to be proud, to resist the attack of to do our own thing. We are told to stand firm like good soldiers. We are not to fear. We are not to flee the enemy, but we are to resist steadfastly, notice what he says, in the faith, the same faith that the Satan wants to devour. The same dynamic, because he wants to devour you as a believer. He wants to take you out. He wants to take us down. But we are to resist in the faith. We are to stand firm in our thought, not, not stand firm in our thoughts or in our own ways and actions, but rather in our faith, our Christian faith, our faith in God, our trusting in him that he is going to get us through. And as we're going through those hardships and persecutions, it's really easy for us to get our eyes off of God. And to think that God's got this because we feel the intense onslaught of Satan. And in those midst of those worries and the sufferings and the anxieties and the, the difficulty and we put our eyes upon ourselves and we put our eyes upon our circumstances and we put our eyes on everything else other than the one who we should be dependent upon. And Peter's telling us in the midst of that, put your dependence upon God. Humbly submit Stand firm in the faith that you have been given, that has been handed down to you, that you have been taught, that you are learning through the scriptures. We are to remain firm in our trust in God. We are to have a firm commitment to Christ and to trust in Christ. God's got it. Easier said than done. I fail in this so many times. Even today, just looking and saying, God, do you got it? I, I, I don't know. I, and you can find yourself battling and looking and saying, no, God is in control and I'm going to humbly submit to him. I'm going to cast my cares and my anxiety upon him because I know that ultimately he cares for me. He cares for you. He cares for everyone that is a believer. And so I trust and I have to Go back to the facts of Scripture that God is in control and God's got it. This is not, and I, I like this, this idea, that it's not a Herculean act of, on, on God's behalf. It's not the standing firm. It's not, look at me, I'm the superhero. I'm the great. It's, it's simply looking and saying, I am going to continue to trust God day by day. I'm going to drink from the springs of living water daily. I'm going to know that he is always good. And I'm going to trust in him even in the midst of my hardships. Even in the midst of the dilemmas that I face. And what's the motivation to stand firm? Peter says there's, there's an interesting motivation that he brings out. And it's really important for the believers in Asia Minor who are feeling all alone. When, when you go through a hardship, when you're facing suffering and difficulty, isn't sometimes the most lonely place to be? You feel like no one else knows, no one else gets it. You feel like you can't share what you're struggling with. You feel like you can't verbalize. And even if you do, you're wondering if anyone listens. 
when we face those moments, that, that's how we feel. But Peter says, you can feel that way, but let me give you the reason you stand firm. He says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in this world. The word brethren is the word adelphos. It's the brotherhood. It is the body, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's looking and he's saying, you're not alone. You're, it's not just you. There is a unity. There's a solidarity that is felt by this common based experience of all believers that all true believers will suffer, that we will face difficulties, that we will face ostracization, that we will face ridicule and persecutions, that we will have sufferings. And so therefore, part of humbly coming to one another is being able to support and knowing that there are others who've went through it. And as they share, they can give you insights on how to, how to go through, how to, how to be experience the, the help that you need. Every Christian faces rejection, discrimination. One thing that can make our commitment firmer is the awareness that churches throughout the world are facing similar sufferings. Granted, to way different degrees at times. Some to the point of death. Some to the point of just name-calling and people pick it. Some just simply at work and as a Christian you face the difficulties. But ultimately, Peter is saying, as believers, we all face that. So you're not alone. Even though we feel lonely, even though we feel like there's no one to talk to, there's... There is, there is a commonality as believers that we face the sufferings. Rejection and abuse were the sufferings similarly felt by these believers. And we all, we all at times face the rejection. We all can face that. And so this is a place, the body, the brotherhood, where we should be able to build each other up. To encourage one another in the midst of an unsettling time. To say, you've got this. Stand firm. You've got this. You can do this. I'm praying for you. I'm here to help. Do you want to talk? Sometimes that is for those who are facing cares and anxieties and struggles and suffering. That's all they need. And yet, sometimes I don't want to lend a listening ear. And yet the brotherhood is a place of common experience that we can look and say, here, you can get through this. Stand firm. Stand strong. And Peter uses contrast again. He's going to do it again. He, he looks and he says, But the God of all grace, verse 10, who has called us into, uh, called unto his, uh, unto his eternal glory by G Christ Jesus. After that you have suffered a while, there it is again, we're going to suffer a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, Settle you. Look at the flow of the passage. Humble yourself under God. But, but be careful because Satan wants to tear you to shreds. But you know what? God wants to do something in you. In the midst of your persecutions, in the midst of your sufferings, in the midst of your anxieties, as you humbly trust, as I humbly cast my cares upon him, and, and I, don't, I don't give in to pride, I don't give in to my way, and Satan doesn't devour me because I'm standing firm in the faith. And as I stand firm in the faith... God does something in me. He throws out this new contrast. Peter contrasts here Satan and suffering and God to give us hope. To say, God's going to do something. Satan may seem overpowering, but when we are trusting in the mighty hand of God that took out Pharaoh and his armies and the entire nation of Egypt, 
when we are humbling ourselves under that mighty hand of God, we can be steadfast in our faith. Suffering may seem at times completely insurmountable. And as we look ahead to our world and the direction that we see it, it could escalate even more. And so we prepare ourselves now. We be sober now. We be vigilant now because we know the onslaught is coming. And as the onslaught is coming, we are prepared to say that I'm going to humbly depend upon God. And though it may seem insurmountable and though it may seem intense, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is stronger. God's hand is mightier than anything that Satan can throw at us. We have a mighty and powerful God that we are to humbly depend upon, to put our trust in. And so Peter looks and says, the God of all grace who has called us, he's the possessor, the giver of the grace. He is the one who has called us. He sums up his entire book in a nutshell here. He says, the one who has saved you, who has called you, the one who saved you by, by, for his glory by the means of Jesus Christ. He says, he's allowed you to suffer for a little while. That is true. That's the whole book right there. I mean, he just sums it up. That God saved you. He is allowing suffering, but there's a reason for it. It's for his glory. And he says that in the midst of that, notice what he says. After you've suffered a while, God, the God of all grace, will do this. He will make you perfect. Literally, the word here, it's not the maturing. The word here is to mend you. It's the picture of Peter at the shore mending the nets that have been torn through the night so that they're profitable again, that they're beneficial. He will fully restore. You've gone through the hardships. God brings you through and he will mend you. He will restore you. He will establish you. He will make you firmly supported. You feel like you're being tossed to and fro in the midst of your hardships and your cares and your anxieties, and yet God will establish you. He will strengthen you. When you feel weak, then you are strong. You feel like you cannot go on. God will strengthen you. He will settle you. He will make you to become a foundation that will not be moved no matter what comes against you. That is why we humbly depend upon the mighty hand of God in the midst of suffering. That is why we reject the notion of putting away our faith and running to our own pride and our own selfishness. That is why we look and we say, God, I will stand firm in the faith in the midst of the onslaught against me, even though it's bringing some anxiety, it's bringing some struggles, I'm going to take those, I'm going to cast them upon you because I am humbly depending upon you in the midst of these unsettling times. After all the wearing effects of the hostility, God himself will do a work that he will make you. He's the one who's doing it in his grace in his sufficiency, helping us through the most difficult of times. And he says, why? Because to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Peter offers a brief of doxology, it's called. But this one's a little bit different. Usually, we get the, we get the term doxology from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. 
Peter doesn't use the word doxa here for this. He uses the word kratos, which the word kratos actually brings about the idea of sovereignty, strength, and power. It's, it's the glory that is given to the strong one, to the mighty one, to the ruler who sits upon, sits on high. And Peter looks and says, to him be the glory and the dominion forever. What a comfort for us as believers to know that the sovereign God of the universe is in control and he will have the ultimate victory. We can persevere through the suffering and when we do it and stand firm in the faith because we have humbled ourselves under that mighty hand of God. We have a continued trust in the sovereign might of God. He does an amazing work to help us stay strong and to make it. Thus, he gets the glory because he is the one who's established us. He is the one who's carried us through, not us. He's the one who's brought us through it all. And Peter's looking and saying, suffering is real. You've been called to it. We've been saved. And yet there's a reason for it so that God works in our lives to bring about his glory. Believers should be in full comfort knowing that they are on the side of this victorious celebration. The one who sits in dominion and authority as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the one who is upholding us. The one who is lifting us up. The one who is strengthening us. And once again, Peter is anticipating that day when suffering is past, when glory and peace and joy, they reign forever. And we look forward to that hope and we're able to take our sufferings and our cares and cast them upon him. Now, you want to look and say, that's all, folks. And that's sort of what happens when we, I can't do, I can't do a porky pig, my, that's all, that doesn't work. Um, but sometimes we look at the, the very end of a book and you, you sort of look at verses 12, 13, and 14. You're like, oh, all right, there's the, you know, signed, sealed, delivered, stamp of approval. All right, have a good day. But Peter, as he's winding down his letter, he's, he still has a point here. He's still driving to help us to understand what's going on. He says, there's something to learn. He says, I'm sending this to you by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is true, uh, the true grace of God wherein you stand. Those who carried letters in the Bible times, they were to convey potentially other news, like they would, Silas, it's Silas, Silvanus is Silas. Silas shows up to, to deliver this letter. He may also be carrying news about, okay, this is where Peter's at, Paul's been doing this, John Mark's there, they're all in Rome right now, wanted to let you know how things were going. So they would bring about those truths as well. They had a responsibility that if there were, when the letter was read, if they had any questions, the, the believers had questions, they would ask Silas for help with interpretation. What was Peter talking about? What did he mean here? Uh, many people believe that Silas helped to write the letter for Peter as what's called his amanuensis, the one who writes while Peter was dictating there. Peter says this, and in the King James, it's, it's interesting because depending on how you read it, I mean, think about it. Uh, but by Silas, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. I mean, I guess he's a faithful guy. I mean, is that what he's saying? No, the word here is, as I consider him. He's looking and saying, Silas, this, this one who's bringing you the letter, you may not know him, but I'm telling you, he is a faithful brother and a follower of Christ. And so therefore, the document you're receiving here, new, new believers in Asia Minor, the one you're receiving, it can be trusted because the one delivering it to you is trustworthy. 
I'm telling you that he is a trustworthy individual. So that's important for them to know that as they're hearing this, they're under the pressure, they're under the strength to know that what they have just heard is what Peter had said. That Silas didn't come and doctor it. Silas didn't change it. No, what he is bringing and bringing before you is truth. And so the general purpose then he says of the letter, he, he goes into another little summary, but he has, he has something to say here. He says, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Peter encourages even to the end. He says, I'm encouraging you. I am declaring to you that you stand firm under fire. And this is the result of God's gracious working in your life. So Peter, even as he's wrapping it up and saying, you can trust this letter because Silas is a faithful person. I am exhorting and imploring you, stand firm. Stand firm in your life. Even though you are a stranger, even though you are an alien, even though you are in exile, stand firm. We've talked through all of those terms at the beginning of our study, that that is what we are. We are a stranger, we are an alien, we are in exile here in this world. And how does he remind them of that even at the end? Look what he says. The church that is at Babylon. Now, the church of Babylon... Peter's, Peter's writing from Rome here. The church here is actually, he's talking about Rome, which it's used later on. John uses it as a code word for Rome as well. But why doesn't he just say the church at Rome? It's not, it's not a fear of persecution. He's using it to remind them, hey, just like those who were in exile in Babylon, you're still in exile here in this world. You are, you're there as believers. We are exiles in this world and we are exiles in our present situation. So even as exiles, stand firm, stay strong. And he says, the church that's in Rome, they salute. They're sending their greetings to you. And even, even Mark does. And they would know John Mark. That would, that would be John Mark. So he's saying, even, even we're looking and saying, hey, we salute you because we know it's hard. We know it's difficult to stand firm when the people all around you are not living for God. They're in Rome. They're in, they're in the capital of, of decadence and sin and debauchery. And they're, they're living there and yet they're standing firm and they're facing the same things. And they're saying, the church here is saluting you and saying, stay strong, stand firm, keep going, do the right thing, stay there. And then he finishes up, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be to you, all that are in Christ Jesus, amen. Peter and the church at Rome desire the believers in Asia Minor to extend love and hospitality to each other, even in the hardest of times. That's the idea of greeting you with the, the kiss of charity. He doesn't say the holy kiss here as Paul does. He talks about a, a kiss of love, that there is a love that will be demonstrated. It's a, it was a hospitable cultural thing where they would come in, they would kiss each other on the sides of the cheek, but it was a way of showing fellowship. It was a way of showing hospitality. It was a way of showing enduring love for one another. And so even as Peter is wrapping up, he's saying, we're, we're imploring you as a church in Rome who's been through it and has faced the difficulties and has faced the sufferings, stick to these things. Stand firm in the faith. Stay with hospitality as we've talked about because we need each other. We need each other in the midst of unsettling times. Show love to one another. Experience the peace of Christ in Christ Jesus. So the kiss would have been that gesture of fellowship and a sign of a healthy family. That's what we need to be doing. 
as we look at our lives, as we look at our world in a very unsettling time, in a very difficult time, we have to look and say, as believers, we need to individually stand firm in the faith, humbly dependent upon God, but encouraging one another to stand firm, encouraging one another to show love and hospitality toward each other so that we can strengthen each other because hard times are coming. And we need to have each other to be able to stand firm. Though the stress of life, it's significant. And as believers, we are being buffeted by trials and persecution. God's peace and his strength will enable you to stand amidst all the pressures of this evil age. That's where Peter's driving us to. To stand firm, but be humbly submitted to the mighty hand of God. So Father, I pray that you would help us in our difficult times, in our hard times, in our stressful times, in our moments of anxiety, to humbly depend upon you, to cast our cares upon you, to trust in your goodness. When the the onslaughts of Satan come upon us, Lord, help us to be humbly dependent upon you and not to go at it on our own. Lord, I pray that we as a body of believers would encourage one another, that we would be hospitable toward each other, that we would show the love that is necessary to strengthen each other. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us and you would mend us when we are broken, that you would help us to be established and firm in you. Lord, thank you for this study. Thank you for the encouragement of Peter and yet the conviction that the book brings about. Lord, help us to live settled in you in these unsettling times. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.